Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, the New York Knicks play tonight. But before we get to that, we answer your questions. Yeah, it's mailbag time, and we've got some great questions to get into today. First, we talk about Tibbs and his flaws, but also how so far in this young season, he seems to be improving on those flaws. We get into how and why. And then we get asked about the top three players with the potential of being traded by the deadline and top three potential trade partners. And of course, we do one of our most fun exercises, which is fake trades. Gavin has a number of trades that he presents, and I grade them from the perspective of how much, eh, not so much from the Knicks perspective, how much I would want to do them. That's the most <laughs> important thing. That's coming yeah. up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. Here he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, and today's episode is brought to you by Price Picks. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. That's pricepicks.com, promo code LOCKEDON. We want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today, and every day we're now available on all platforms, and that includes on YouTube. So if you haven't already, please go and throw us a subscription there. But who's talking to you? I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland the greatest darn Knicks website out there. You can check them out on all social media at thestrick.land. And Alex, we start our day talking about the coolest coach in the land. Um, I'll, I'll just read both these questions at once because they're, they're both about Tibbs, obviously. And uh, I figure we could just sort of do like a full spectrum overview of, of where we're at on him after the first two games of the season. A little early, but but never too early to talk Tibbs. Uh, cool Clyde on crack at Cool Clyde 10 wants to know, is Tommy Tibbs' greatest fault his time management and over-reliance on tight rotation? And then uh, another version of, of questioning Tibbs' flaws from Adrian Chat- Chatham, uh, someone I saw Batman with, at Magic Age 683. He wants to know, Tibbs is always talking about reads and the game will tell you what to do. Do you think the Knicks could benefit from an actual offensive coach that has a philosophy or specific game plan? I feel their defense is great, but they need offensive direction besides read the game. Alex, we've said a lot of nice, not so nice things about Tibbs on this podcast over the years. Where are you at two games into the season? I actually feel pretty good about what they've done so far. Like I think that they actually do have more of an offensive identity than they've had in the last number of years uh, to address Adrian's part of the question. Like I think we're seeing, and and look, I'd be lying if I said that I was like some X's and O's expert. Um, Maybe we could bring on someone after a few weeks. when we have a slightly larger sample size to get into this, like maybe like Benji or someone like that. Who's like really, really good at breaking down film. But to my eye, I mean, they've been running more sets where they kind of clear out one side of the floor run a, a Mitch pick and roll, you know, off the side with, uh, you know, someone, whether it's, whether it's RJ, whether it's Fournier, whether it's, you know, Brunson to sort of initiate the action and then keeping the floor spaced on the other side, then, you know, working to get the ball around the perimeter and eventually find someone for an open three 
if not getting someone into the paint like a Brunson or an RJ. And then also having Randall, you know, able to do his thing, you know, an ISO as sort of a, a emergency option of sorts. Uh, in addition to also, I think they've been doing a good job setting up, which we'll talk about in a minute, like offensive rebounding chances for Mitch too. And, you know, having their offense run in such a way that, you know, he can quickly crash in and do what he does best, which is corral offensive rebounds and, you know, get putbacks and stuff. So I've been, I've been generally liking it so far, but, you know, I'll throw that to you before we get into the, the other part of the question, as far as his time management and, you know, tight rotations and all that, like, offensively and i mean i i guess another example real quick too would be drawing up that cam reddish play at the end of uh regulation against the grizzlies like i plus running in transition trusting the board like i think that i think they've done a lot of good things so far this year as far as you know stepping up and and correcting some of the wrongs of last season which was just relying way too much on just isoing and you know, as as Adrian said, like reading the game, and as Tib says, reading the game. It's this year. I feel like it's uh, there's a little more structure to my eye than there has been, even even in 2021. Or sorry, yeah, ni- yeah 2021. Yeah, that's right year. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm in. I'm in agreement with you. Um, I think to Adrian's point, I think relative and and I'll put out the same caveat as you. I. I absolutely do not know what I'm talking about on the, on the level of an NBA coach on this or, or any level of coach. So it's, it's a harder question, I guess, for us specifically. And uh, to your point, Benji or Dallas, uh, we will get into this stuff with them. But to my eye, um, I'm seeing much better flow offensively for this team. And to me, I think it's very much tied in with their rotation decisions because you need the right balance of passing, shooting, ball handling out there. I mean, it, it's almost like – Basketball is in in some ways cooking where it's like a little bit more of an improvisational art. And it's in some ways baking where there is a pretty standard formula and you need a couple guys who can win off the dribble, who can generate rotations. You need to put defenses in movement. And then you need guys who can make very quick decisions off of that. You need guys who have gravity, who make it so a bad rotation is actually punished. And those rotations are harder to do because you're rotating from further away because you're out 25 feet guarding an Emmanuel quickly. And then all of a sudden you have to race over to the opposite corner. Like in some ways it's very difficult being an NBA coach and, and the intricacies of of a system and, and play design. And I mean, some of like the more complicated sets that that we occasionally talk about and occasionally highlight when Tibbs decides to run them, like, like that stuff is, is interesting and it takes a long time to learn. And then in other ways, it's very, very simple, right? And I think the Knicks' success offensively this year can essentially boil down to the fact that they're moving the ball a lot quicker and the guys who have the ball in their hands the longest are, are making better decisions, uh, namely Julius Randle. Like, I, I think it, it like on one hand, Alex, it looks like Tibbs is doing a better job. On another hand, I think that's basically just Randle deciding like, okay, I'm going to play smarter and I'm going to play faster and I'm, I'm going to run the floor hard in transition. I'm going to get easy buckets there. In the half court, I'm going to touch it. And if I have a mismatch, I'm going to attack. If I don't have a mismatch, let me get it back to Jalen Brunson. And, and Brunson is the other key element there for the Knicks actually having a calming influence at the point guard spot. And, and look, Derek Rose, when we talk about how he transformed that team two years ago, 
it was because he brought something to the table that no Knicks point guard had brought since Jason Kidd and Raymond Felton in that 2012-13 season. And that, that was someone who, who, who could drive the ship, who had the confidence, who knew what they were doing, who had the gravitas to direct guys all over the court, who actually had the on-court skill, again, to get to the rim and, and put stress on a defense. And Brunson is that times five because he's younger, he's craftier, he's, he's even better at it than Rose was two years ago. So to me, it's as simple as upping the pace, having a point guard who can uh, create mismatches and, and create havoc in a defense and put stress on a defense, and then having like an apex predator on the wing in Julius Randle who's willing to attack mismatches, who's willing to get all the way to the rim, and who's willing to make right decisions. Um, so I, I think it's a little bit on Tibbs in that he has input this speed and we give him all the credit in the world for actually mandating that of Julius Randle, that he plays with that kind of pace. I mean, we can look up right now. The Knicks, um, th- this is John Hollinger's uh, pace statistic. They're seventh in the NBA in that right now. They were 29th last year um, in traditional like possessions. Uh, they, they are playing at a different speed with a different willingness to move the ball. And, and, and to me, it's as simple as that. I don't think the offense itself has become dramatically more complicated. Yeah, I, I guess it's probably a little bit of a little bit of both. And certainly with Randall, it's tough to weigh like, okay, how much of this is just Julius Randall himself and how much of it is being drilled into him by the coaching staff uh, to make him play a different, better way. I want to give Julius plenty of credit for that too, because I mean he did talk about, you know, watching European basketball and trying to emulate his game after that and all that stuff. And but some of it has to come back to the coaching staff too. It's just like, it's just like when we talk about like, you know, I think Tibbs has actually been a pretty good player developer in the sense that like Emmanuel quickly and Mitchell Robinson and RJ Barrett and all these guys have gotten better under his watch. And some of that's their, you know, their uh, uh, work ethic personally and stuff, but other parts of it are like this coaching staff has done well by them too. So I guess we'll see as far as all that's concerned. As far as Cool Clyde's part of all this, uh, is his greatest fault time management or over-reliance on a tight rotation? I think, again, both seem to have been a little better so far this year. Like, I think that his his time management, I guess, like, I don't know exactly how to define that. Like, is that, like, how he uses his timeouts? Is that how he, uh, you know, staggers his players coming in or what? I think that all those things were not necessarily the best before. Like he would burn a timeout and then make zero changes, <laughs> which is just the most asinine thing ever. Like when the team last year would be getting lit up for the first like six minutes of the game, he would call a timeout and then throw the exact same lineup out there and expect them to do something different. And they wouldn't because they hadn't in any of the previous games. Um, but then also time management, I think is like, how much are you staggering? Which guys play with what unit and, you know, that sort of thing to try to like maximize everybody's strengths. And, you know, I think he's traditionally been pretty bad at that too, with the hockey shift type thing, which also sort of goes with the tight rotation thing as well. Like it all just sort of bleeds into one another. Hmm. Um, I I would probably say the biggest fault is the ultimately the time management. I think a tight rotation is fine if your guys can handle it, you know, and and honestly, like if he ran a nine to 10 man rotation, that's not like, that much different than most teams in the league some teams go out to like 11 or so but you're not going to find too many teams going out much more than that and honestly like as long as the guy's endurance is okay which the Knicks have stressed you know endurance over the last few years and seems like everybody on the team is in pretty good shape at this point like 
I'm fine with that. I, I, the, the tight rotation doesn't bother me. So I think the time management is probably the big thing. But again, just a couple games into the season, but I think he's shown some improvement in that regard so far this year. Yeah, I want to get into the rotations a little bit more because to me that that's been one of the more encouraging aspects of what he's done as a coach this year. But before I do that, Alex, uh, what, what what's the best place to go to uh, to play some daily fantasy? Well, you know, I I got to tell you guys about Prize Picks because it's been pretty revolutionary. I used to not enjoy playing daily fantasy because you go on these various sites and. You know, they promise like, oh, it's it's a great game. You build like your fantasy lineup and you use the dollars. It's very strategic and fun and blah, blah, blah. But then it's like just a bunch of professional people with all their, you know, advanced statistics and whatever, buying up all the entries and winning all the winning positions in any given thing. And you're playing against all these other players. And it's just it's it's not fun. It's not fun if you want to just have a little fun and like play a game and have something to root for any given night. Because you know that you're kind of buying the eight ball with all these other companies. That's where Prize Picks comes in. Prize Picks is totally different. You pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to ten times your money on any entry. For example, you could take Luka Doncic to score more than twenty six and a half points, LeBron to have more than seven and a half rebounds, KD to have less than six and a half assists, and Steph Curry to have more than three and a half three pointers made. And it's just you versus those numbers. You don't have to play against a bunch of professional players. It's a lot more fun of an experience. And PrizePix offers projections on any sport that you watch. That includes, you ready for this long list, NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, soccer, WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, Euro basketball, cricket, and more. Somehow more than that. But you can also place multi-sport entries meaning that if it's like a football Sunday and the Knicks are playing, you can pick – I don't even know who's healthy on the Jets anymore. You can pick Zach Wilson over 200 passing yards and R.J. Barrett over 20 points. or over. 20 I, I, I got to say that that Zach Wilson over. A little, little bold, Alex. A little, little bold. It is a little bold, but you know, not too much more bold than Daniel Jones uh, doing the same. So. Oh, <laughs> you know, my, my, my guy can run. My guy but, can run. <laughs> so can Zach. <laughs> They're the same player. Uh, but entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It really is that easy. And they're safe and fast withdrawals. And it's currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. So download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match of up to $100 with PrizePix. All right, we're back, Gavin, and I will uh, I'll just throw this to you because you ended the last segment saying you wanted to briefly talk about Tibbs rotations before we get into our, our next mailbag question here. So the floor is yours. Yeah, I think there's, I think it's a little less crucial this year than in past years that he mixes and matches the starters and the bench just because stylistic uh, diversity is built into this team by replacing Nerlens Noel with Isaiah Hartenstein. You, you, you're automatically getting two different looks at the center position at least. And I remember um, the past two years, it was it was kind of more important to me. Like, all right, I want IQ to get a chance to run, pick and roll with um, 
Julius Randle and like and, and get to play off someone who had a little bit more gravity as, as a passing big because they didn't have that in the lineup last year. Now, now he's Hartenstein to play off. Of. So that, that's just one example, but it, it's one that makes it a little bit less crucial. And I'm actually like I'm falling a bit more into Tibbs's camp this year of, all right, let the units like build up some chemistry. And then as the year goes on, make some adjustments. But I also don't want there to be a rigidity there because if someone's having a good game or you want to see a different look, like I I was talking about how fun it was watching IQ get an easy bucket against the Pistons just because Jalen Brunson drove into the lane and drew two defenders. I love RJ Barrett with that bench unit because I I think it encourages his passing so much more. It's it's one of the most interesting and, and I think just natural parts of the game. When you play with people who like to pass, you pass it more. Um, and RJ with that bench unit is magic. So as many minutes of that as we can get, and maybe that means subbing him out a little bit earlier and getting Cam a few more minutes with the starters and, and getting Cam's confidence up. Or when Grimes comes back, uh, knock on wood, <laughs> he gets a little bit more confidence with the starters. So all that is to say, I'm fine with how Tibbs has handled that so far. I just, I, as the year goes along, I want to see him continue to experiment because I think there could be some really interesting stuff there, whether it's even Rose like coming in a little bit early and Brunson getting some run with the bench. But there's a lot of there's a lot of things to do. The time management stuff, I've, I'm kind of I, I'm, I'm with exactly what you said. I don't think there's been anything wrong with it so far this year. And we'll we'll see as the season goes along if that crops up as the Knicks playing more and more close games. But Alex, uh, we got a fun trade question to get to. And that one comes from HB Solo at H boozy jr um or maybe it's boazy jr i don't know we gotta ask hb anyways he wants us to know uh or he wants to tell us or ask us rank the top three players with the possibility of being traded by the deadline slash top three trade partners so alex i'll quickly throw you my guys and and i'll get your reaction on it but my top three players in order are uh evan fournier uh i i, I chose to only go with guys in the rotation evan fournier cam reddish then obi toppin uh, my top three trade partners, and we can circle back to this because I have specific trades with each team, but they are the Phoenix Suns, the Denver Nuggets, and the Memphis Grizzlies. Okay, run me those players one more time. Okay, sure. It was Evan Fournier first, uh, then Cam Reddish, then Obi Top. Okay, yeah. I mean, I think I don't. Mm, I don't know how I feel about Obi being included on the list, uh, although. Yeah. With how I'm, I'm not happy happened. about it, but I, yeah. I just that, what, that Ian Begley report that we haven't talked about on this podcast. So I'll quickly mention it was it was him just kind of offhandedly saying um, like the Knicks are like ha- I don't I don't want to misquote this, but the way I remember it was like the Knicks have some slight concerns about paying both of them, and like the implication was kind of like one could get traded. Yeah, I mean, I would hope they would they would choose Julius in that scenario, just based off the fact that Obi is couple years younger and able to oh this, this was he, he was saying ob and iq to be clear not, oh, not ob and, and iq not yeah, ob yeah. and julius well either way i would still hope that they would trade julius yeah. and then that frees <laughs> up the money needed um it's, yeah. it's like an a b c d like choice list i'm like i'm gonna go with e on that one like yeah, not no 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 it's i'm going with e yeah we need we need e here yeah. um yeah so fournier i definitely think it's the most likely to get traded and my hope is just that he revives his play enough that they can, you know, trade him in a deal that maybe doesn't look quite as rich as what uh, Orlando got when they traded him to Boston, but, you know, at least can get you like a couple second round picks or something from some shooting needy team. I still wouldn't rule out the Lakers as a potential destination there. I feel like the Lakers are like every team's like 
wish list uh, team to deal with right now of like, here, like, look, you guys seriously need players. And, uh, you know, LeBron himself is saying they need shooters. And that's yeah. that's like their number one need. Well, if that's the case, then the Knicks can definitely deliver on that front, you know, with Evan Fournier. I mean, he is a, a one-man wrecking crew of a three-point shooter, as he proved last year. So, you know, I, I would hope that he would be top of their list and and that the Lakers will be top of the Knicks list as far as teams to call to try to make something happen here. Um, Reddish too, I, I agree, you know, even with the, the recent spike in play, I mean, if the Knicks are worried about paying OB and IQ, they're definitely worried about paying Cam Reddish then, <laughs> you know, like I can't see a world where even if Reddish plays pretty well this year and sticks, you know, in the rotation, that they would be like willing to give him a decent contract. Like I feel like his ultimate, his ultimate destination would be being traded out in a, in a sign and trade versus signing an offer sheet, you know, this coming off season to maybe send him to a destination. He wants to go more than, you know, wherever could afford just a straight up offer sheet. But that of course begs the question of like, what would his offer sheet even be at this point? I, I think some team would probably give him 10 million a year right now. Um, maybe like, four years 40 million something like that just as like a prove it deal um but we'll see as time goes on with that and then obi yeah i i don't want to even entertain the idea of trading him but it unfortunately there's a world where he could be the odd man out i i will just say i could i mean i struggle to see a world where this comes to pass but i could almost see where if the Knicks aren't winning a ton of games where they would actually entertain trading Rose, uh, if there was like an offer for like a first round pick on the table for him, hmm. uh, more so than trading an OB where they could be like, you know what, we can wait until next off season. Like worst case scenario with OB and IQ, you let them hit restricted free agency and set their own price. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to extend them next summer. So I, I could see a world where Rose would maybe become available in that way, or even Randall to that degree, if they were just kind of like, all right, these guys are playing pretty well, but you know we're like six games under five hundred at at the trade deadline or whatever. Because the Knicks do opposite of last year, where they had an easy schedule early. This year they have a, a hard schedule early, so you know things could be looking a little more bleak around the trade deadline this year. Maybe they entertain selling off a little bit, but also if those guys are playing well, I, that would and the team is still bad. That would mean the young players are playing terrible which would not be great. I, I just, I can't really see a world where those guys are playing good enough to up their trade value that the Knicks aren't also good. And yeah, so that was my for, premise. Yeah. Yeah. No, for no. that reason, like only Fournier who seems like sort of an odd man out right now is the only one that I could see being traded under either scenario. The rest of the team, I feel like would be mostly, I don't want to say untouchable, but not being explored, being traded. If the, if the Knicks, them, you know, as a whole are playing well. Yeah. I think, pending Quentin Grimes long-term health the reason I had those two guys top two is there, there's only a spot for one of Fournier and Reddish on this team and in this rotation like that that that's pretty clear-cut to me because Grimes isn't going to lose minutes I I don't think quickly is going to lose minutes RJ obviously is not losing minutes so you you boil down to one of those two guys and whoever the odd man out there is I think gets dealt and and even if Reddish is initially the odd man out when Grimes comes back if he continues to look really good behind the scenes that that could be an impetus to to move Fournier somewhere else um Alex I, I have a couple of fake traits to throw your way and get your opinion on but before we do that 
I have to tell everyone about betonline.net because they're your number one source for football betting and the start of the new basketball season. That's us, baby. You can find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every single game. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering info with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there, the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf, and and Alex, uh, if our guy Tommy Tibbs does not continue to find success, the odds for the first coach fired, the favorite is Steve Nash at 5-1. to one. The second guy on that list, Doc Rivers at 11-2. to two. I would throw some money on Doc personally. But the fourth guy on that list, Tom Thibodeau at 7-1. Uh, I would, I would uh, hesitate on that for now. But look, the Knicks lose three, four games in a row at some point that could flip very quickly. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more, whether you want to bet on Tibbs or against him, bet online. It's where the game starts. And with that, we are back on lockdown Knicks. All right, Alex, buckle up. I'm going to throw some fake trades your way with these teams. You can, uh, you can, uh, you can let me go through all three of these. You could jump in if you have a thought, um, but here we go. First. Yeah. Let's uh, do them one at a time. Throw yeah, me the first one. That's it. All right. Uh, we got the Phoenix Suns. Um, my premise with the Suns being this, the Knicks' number one trade partner is I think they're going to be thirsty for Julius Randle. Like, they're, they're, there's not going to be any subtlety here. There is going to be public lusting for him because this is a team, despite an impressive win over the Clippers a night ago and, and, and a pretty solid one opening night against the Dallas Mavericks, that needs another player if they want to prop their window open. And to me, Julius makes so much sense because at his best, we've seen it, he's an all-NBA caliber talent. And the Suns do not have the assets to trade for a more traditional all-NBA caliber talent, someone who hits that mark year in and year out. They got to trade for the version that sucks every other year. And and that is Julius. Um, I think they're going to be absolutely desperate for him. So the two proposed deals that have on the table there, and Suns fans would, would maybe maybe tell me I'm nuts for this, but the first one would be Cam Johnson, who I don't think they want to pay, and they definitely don't want to pay if uh, if Julius is is coming in. So Cam Johnson, uh, Jay Crowder, just because they want to move off him anyways, and a first-round pick. The alternative one would be Dario Saric, Crowder, and maybe two firsts. And, and the premise of those two firsts is obviously that I think the Suns with Julius Randle would look like they're going to be a really good team for the foreseeable future. And I assume those firsts would have some protections on them. But Alex, what say you? Because I think Julius Randle is the difference between the Suns being a first round out and a Western Conference Finals contender. Yeah, I mean, I could see it. Um, and Jay Crowder wants out there too, which yeah. he's well on record. So He's not even playing there right now. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson, I like. Um, I guess I would have a little bit of trepidation if I was the Knicks, too, about paying him, if I'm being honest. Like, if that's actually a thing that they're thinking about as far as, like, young players right now and, like, oh, which ones do we want to pay? I mean, let me throw this out there. I think you would acquire him to trade him for another first-round pick to a different team. Okay. All right. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, if that's Crowder as, like, a veteran. Yeah, I mean, if that's the case and you're just kind of like loading up and then I I think Crowder would be a great backup to Obi, which I think would be awesome, you know, because then you could reasonably, you know, play Obi top in 30 plus minutes a game um, and have Jay just kind of come in. And look, if Jay Crowder is going to complain about playing like 20 minutes a game, 
off the bench, then like get real, buddy. Like then you could trade him too. Well, I think the issue in Phoenix is that he didn't want to do that. So maybe maybe you're trading yeah. both of them. So who who yeah. knows? Maybe 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 that's where this falls apart. But just in terms, just as an asset play, mm-hmm. there's a world where the, where the Knicks walk away with again like three first round picks from that yeah. kind of deal. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd be all about it. I, I sign me up if that deal's on the table. And and that's even saying that like I love how Julius has been playing so far this year. And if he played that way the whole year for the Knicks, I would be very happy with him. Uh, but you can't turn down a deal where you get a couple extra first round picks and probably don't affect the bottom line of your team that much, you know, and with slotting Obi in there instead of Julius as the starter with how well Obi tends to play with those starters. So I'm, I'm all about that trade a plus. I got, thank you. Uh, we'll see if the Suns agree. Uh, I got, I got one more, one more Phoenix one for you. Uh, Deandre Ayton, who I think is still very, very unhappy to be there for Mitchell Robinson and Emmanuel quickly. And that that's operating in a world where again, the Knicks don't necessarily want to pay quickly. Do you, do you think Aiton is a big enough upgrade on Mitch to justify that, that kind of deal? I would probably say no, but other people I know would say yes. You know, I like, I know for example, like uh, Schwinn, our, our good buddy is a huge Aiton fan mm. or has been over the years and would probably say like, yeah, absolutely go for that. I, I personally, Probably wouldn't, but you know, we're assuming that this is gonna because eight and I don't think could be traded before like January 15th or something because of signing a, a restricted free agent deal. Um, right. so you'd have some time to sort of evaluate this. And I like, I don't know, Aiton, Aiton's kind of weird to me because I love a lot of what he can do, but I feel like he often doesn't do everything that he can, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like he has certain parts of his game that exist but that he just doesn't unleash like certain scoring abilities and stuff but is that just because he's playing with Devin Booker and Chris Paul and all those other talented offensive players there or is that a reluctance on his part to to do certain stuff like that it I don't know I I don't know that I love it but I will say that he would definitely give you more versatility than Mitch as far as an offensive player in that he's not restricted to just the you know not even just inside the arc, but like inside six feet of the hoop, you know, he, yeah. he could do a little more than that. So if ultimately the Knicks are not going to pay Emmanuel quickly or they don't, or they're, they're on the fence about wanting to give him money, then I'm okay with doing that as a way to sort of upgrade the center position though. Again, I, I really love what Mitch brings to the team, so which we'll get to in a second. So I, I'm not a hundred percent sold on that deal. I'll give that, a C plus. <laughs> All right. Okay. You know what? Tough grader. That's cool. All right. Uh, let, let, let's keep it moving. Uh, Denver Nuggets, my second team. Uh, this this one is convoluted, and, and the Knicks would have to end up cutting a bunch of guys just because it was very hard to make the money work. But uh, Garrick Rose and Cam Reddish. So this, this is kind of a blow it up trade for the Knicks. A little, a little bit, at least at least for this season, just in that they're trading Rose. Um, but Rose and Reddish for KCP, Peyton Watson, Ish Smith. Devon Reed, and here's here's why you want to make this trade: a top seven protected 2029 first round pick. I like it. I mean, it's essentially just flotsam for yeah for a first yeah for a first yeah. I mean, that's fine. Uh, you know, I think I'd be good with that. You know, you're just gonna cut most of those guys anyway. Um, so you're essentially just clearing playing time for. Grimes and quickly at that point by yeah. moving on from Rose and, and clearing time for Deuce actually to be clear yeah and I think K- they, KCP could be like if, if you're quote unquote still trying to win he could he could fill in and be okay yeah yeah so 
yeah, I, I think I, I, like I don't really love KCP, honestly. Yeah. So I would kind of just be like, whatever, you know, he could be an end of the bench guy breaking case of emergency. But yeah, maybe he's the guy you keep on the roster out of that trade. But yeah, I I like it. I mean, mostly because you get a first round pick. You know, I think if the Knicks can can if the and this is like if the Knicks find themselves in a situation where they're not playing as well uh, by like the trade deadline, I think that sort of deal is is reasonable you know to just start to finally do what they didn't do like last year for example and move off of like the alec burks types on the roster that you know they probably reasonably could have at least gotten a couple seconds for burks last year and then instead they wound up i mean it wasn't a large cost but they did have to pay to get off of him in the offseason when they wanted cap space and everything so um you know even if it only cost like a second they could have instead you know netted a few seconds and then just use like one second to move nerlands and and uh kemba in the offseason or whatever plus you know trading to the protected picks out of their first so you know it's it's just like little things like that i hope that if they're not doing as well by the deadline this year that they entertain more like learn from their mistakes of the past couple years and and entertain the idea of um moving off veterans more than they have in the past so yeah, if I'm if I'm the Nuggets, I'm I'm jumping all over that. I mean, put put Derek Rose in that starting lineup with with Murray, Porter, Jokic. Uh, that would be magic. Reddish off the bench, big wing. Uh, I would I I would I would I would go all in on that if I were the the Denver Nuggets. All right, one one final one. Um, it is for the Memphis Grizzlies, and I I my gut instinct, Alex, is you will you will hate this one. But in a world where the Knicks are insistent on trading Obi Toppin because they Julius Randle is just going to be playing thirty four minutes a game for the next four seasons um obi toppin to the memphis grizzlies for uh jake laravia and a top six protected first in 2025 yeah i, I would do that i mean i guess you know if they're insistent on not paying him that would be my only my only way that i would do that i thought laravia looked pretty good in that first game so i'm like you know maybe he's maybe he's a player like he could definitely shoot which is good um I definitely don't like him as much as Obi Toppin. That's for yeah. sure. Uh, and that pick, I feel like you could pretty much bank on being in the 20s mm. by 2025. I mean, you're going to have Morant that many years older, that many years better, plus, you know, the core that they have in place. I also would really not be surprised if the Grizzlies got involved in the next star that becomes available discussion. Um, or even as soon as like this season or, or next off season, if like Durant gets fed up again, I would not be surprised if the Grizzlies like go in on someone like that. Um, Cause they have all the young pieces to do it and they still have like their own draft picks and everything else. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that pick is going to not be super duper valuable, but future picks are always in some way valuable. So yeah, I would say from that perspective, I, Again, only if they are dead set on not paying Obi Toppin would I make that deal. But otherwise, I, I don't think I would. Yeah, uh, I, I I do I do not want to trade Obi Toppin. Um, but on that uh, slightly dystopian slash apathetic note, I think we can wrap up this edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow morning in your feeds with a game recap. But until then, uh, we'll talk to you soon on Locked On Knicks. Peace out.